Well, you got to love the honesty of kids, don't you? Everything's free. Ain't got to do nothing. Take me back to serve every year, mom and dad. And I will never forget that line. How can I stop sinning if you won't show me how to be saved? (laughs) I'm loving that. And once again, once again, I want to tell you, parents, I'm going to tell you this. I do understand you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, manipulate your kids emotionally. I get it. And you don't want to make sure that they're ready and this sort of thing. But don't underestimate what they're ready for. They might be far more ready than you are. And, uh, well, that, I, I will, I will use it. I'm thinking about how can I tweet that without betraying. That's, uh, that's, that's a great, great line. We're just delighted that you all are here. I'm glad to see the crowd this morning. You know, uh, t- attendance on holidays at Fellowship, I've learned these seven years, is kind of like unpredictable. And, uh, but I'm glad that you all are here, and I hope you'll have a great, uh, uh, a great holiday, uh, Labor Day. Now, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm getting a little bit sensitive about people talking about my wardrobe. Last week it was the jeans. I had to get over that because of the, my bet with Shane, so I stopped betting. And uh, this week, my wife says, when I put this shirt on this one, oh, you're wearing the picnic tablecloth today. So, <laughs> so I'm going to lay out in the parking lot, and y'all can just eat chicken off my back. So that'd be all right. <laughs> I mean, they're dogging me out. Where's, where are my friends here? You know, they, all the brothers, your wife do the same. They go like this. Are you wearing that? And it's, gosh, man, it's, it's tough. It's, then I got to speak with her today. This is interesting. It's just a joy to be here with you. Um, we're continuing in our series, Faith at Home, and this is really part two of last week's uh, message. Uh, I challenge the assumption that sometimes we feel as if passion cannot be taught. I don't think that's true. In fact, the Bible doesn't think that that's true. Passion can be cultivated, it can be cultivated. It takes work and authenticity to do it. It's costly to do it. But the assumption is that passion can be, can be cultivated and can be taught. But before we get into that, let's just bow our heads together for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so very much for your goodness. And, and Lord, our hearts are just uh, full this morning as uh, seeing these folks being baptized, that family, the entire family coming to Jesus What an amazing thing. Thank you that you are the God of the new beginnings. And I pray that if there be those here this morning who've yet to say yes to you, that as they have witnessed the baptism, may there be a little bit in their heart to saying, well, me too, me too, Lord, hear my prayer. And Father, I pray that they will open their hearts and minds to you. Now, Father, speak to us, we pray. There are very few things that's more important than what we're going to discuss today. And Father, we ask of you that you'll go before us, that you'll make your word clear and plain to us. Father, that uh, it will be practical, that you will show us how we can nurture and shape the next generation, whether we are parents or single parents or, or maybe we're singles, but we're also influencing, mentoring other people. I pray that the Spirit of God will give us holy transference and application. God, there's so much at stake. There's so much at stake. Make clear what our stewardship is to succeeding generations. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, I want you to meet me in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's back in the Old Testament. And uh, I want to read the text that I spoke from for last week just to refresh our minds. 
and let you know that where we're going today is that Karen and I are going to be very practical. I'm going to read a little bit, summarize the message, and Karen's going to speak some about some of the practical application. And then I want to give us three big pathways to kind of put this stuff together in a very practical way. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. There are six words that's on the grave marker of my oldest sister in Roanoke, Virginia. I'd forgotten these words until a few weekends ago we were up there. I'd forgotten that we had put them down there, hadn't been there in a while. And these six six words are really a reference to an old song that many of us know. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of God. What we want said about every succeeding generation is that they are standing on the promises of God. And make no mistake about it, parents, parenting is all about transference. The critical issue is what are we transferring? It's all about transference. In this passionate passage, this text here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I mentioned last week that as you walk through that passage, passion and genuineness and authenticity is all over it. The operative word there is the word teach, but not in the pedantic sense. It is a teaching from a heart sense, a teaching with a passion, a teaching with an eye on the future. And I made reference to the fact that there's a kind of teaching that is outlined there. And I think there are four ways in that very text. Number one, we teach to do. We teach to do. Number two, we teach to sustain. It's not about us and it's not about right now, but it's about that time that we're not going to see. We teach to sustain. Number three, we teach to internalize. It's not just head knowledge about God and not just about the memorization of verses. We teach to internalize. And then fourthly, we teach to integrate, to make it a part of who we are. Again, the mission is the next generation and not just overcoming today's, today's problems. Before Karen shares a bit here, I, I just want to say that, and I'm going to come back to this later on. A word from God is all that we have. Let me, let me say that again. A word from God is all that we have, or let me put it another way. A word from God is really all that really matters. 
It's all that really matters. Every other thought, every other philosophy, every other insight, every other experience pales in insignificance. The only thing that is going to last forever from one generation to the next, I hate to disappoint you, is not the great stories and not the great experiences. It is a word from God. And the devil will do every single thing possible to stop you and distract you and hinder you from passing on that word from God with authenticity, genuineness, viability, and passion. And again, this is some very heavy and important stuff. Now the question is, how do we do this? How how do we do this? And I got to tell you, I traveled a great deal while our kids were growing up. And I get too much credit for how our kids have turned out. By the way, I want to say this to you. Uh, You've heard me say this before. Uh, Be be very careful. You know, we tend to take too much credit when our kids make good decisions and too much blame when they make bad ones. And uh, but I got to tell you that the real the real godly architect and influence in terms of our children, what they're doing today and their heart for the Lord, their involvement in ministry, their love for the word of God has to do with this woman right here. Has to do with this lady right here. And so uh, I'm going to ask the joy of my life to come and be merciful to me about your stories. I don't know what you're going to say about me, but. Uh, uh, no, we'll save that for another day. Well, my salvation story I've shared with my children um, as they were growing up, um, and my heart for God and His Word was really grounded in my Sunday school teacher, Miss Green. Miss Green um, loved the Bible, and she loved teaching. And as a nine-year-old child in her Sunday school class, I really um, loved going to her Sunday school class because she was so enthused about the Bible. Several years later, I came to become a follower of Christ. And it was the reading and hearing God's Word that transformed my life from a helpless, a hopeless, a restless young person who really had no purpose in life, raised in a single-parent home in the streets of Philadelphia, when Jesus came into my life and the Bible became the center being of my whole being, um, it was changed to hope, peace, joy, and a purpose in living. So with that commitment, um, marriage and parenting, I took that into um, my family and parenting. Crawford shared with our family one core family scripture. It's from Psalm 78, verses 5 to 7. I would encourage you to read it, but several things that he really drilled into our family and we modeled before our children. First of all, know the character of God, who God is. Reading God's word and finding out the character of God, who he really is. Another portion from Psalm 78 says, know the content of scripture, um, what it says, what it means, and what you must do with it. We showed our children Whenever we unfolded a scripture or had them read a passage, we wanted them to be able to articulate, okay, now, what does it say? And what does it mean? But more importantly, what will you put shoe leather to? And the last thing from Psalm 78 is know how to live it, how to teach it, and how to pass it on. Cultivate this good ear for God's word, but a good solid walk, and it all came from the word of God. So some examples. Let me give you some examples. We really wanted to teach our children from the Word of God that God's Word is relevant. 
it really is a target right to every area of our lives. God's word is trustworthy. From my own personal experience and from the many stories that we would read in family devotions in our own personal quiet time, God's word gives hope. And I tell them I'm a walking testimony that God's word changed me from this pitiful little girl raised in the city of Philadelphia in a single-parent home. When Jesus came into my life and his word transformed me, I'm a walking testimony to God's word actually transformed you. And also God's word, it's a good word. It's a good word. It's a good word. So God's word, it's the moral and spiritual compass to our lives. So we sort of unpack that in the lives of our children. Um, sometimes in our Bible readings, they become a little, our discussions around the table or at the bedside or even um, on vacations or even in the car, dropping them off at school. But sometimes we address a lot of their questions. What about our friends? What about clothes? What about styles and kinds of music? We always took them back to the word of God. Friends, talking about friends. We would take them to Proverbs. We stayed a lot in the book of Proverbs, talking about what a friend really looks like. A friend sticks closer than a brother. A friend loves at all times. We took them over to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians, talking about you got to be careful of bad company ruins good morals. So we took them to the word of God and let them see that God's word speaks to some of those issues that they were um, dealing with. God's word is relevant. It's good. Also about prayer. We were on staff of Campus Crusade for Christ when we had the majority of our children born. And for 27 years, we trusted God. We would go to God's word. We would pray about maybe Brenda needed some cleats for baseball or we needed some new sheets for our bed or whatever the situation that we needed in prayer. We went to God's word. We showed them that God is a faithful God. And as we obey him, he will supply all of our needs. Um, God pays all of our bills. We help them to have a listening ear to God and know how to talk to God. We also showed them various prayers in the Bible that God had people praying for um, his attention. And then memorizing scripture. We had scriptures all over, all over the place. We wanted to really brainwash them. We wanted them to know that the word of God will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from the word of God. So memorizing scripture, as it says in Psalm 119, 11, says, hide the word in your heart so you will not sin against me. So memorizing the scriptures and also helping them to personalize the scriptures. That was a real fun thing. Just not memorizing the scriptures, but put your name in the scriptures. Make it your own scriptures. And even today, as they went through college and now as they are parents, that they, those scriptures still come to mind. It's sort of like a great reservoir. So memorizing scripture. And also seeing the word of God, that the word of God addresses some of the conf those conflicts that come in in our culture. Whether popular songs or some of the TV programs that was popular in their, um, their groups. And why mom and dad says, let's look at what that TV program is really, I'm talking about. Does it really represent what we're talking about and reading about in the word of God? Why don't you show us from the scriptures that you know concerning some of these maybe conflicting issues that they will bump up against. We wanted them to be able to think critically, but not be critical. Uh, we knew that all of our kids were going to go away to college. And going away to college, sometimes some freshmen get really beat up, those that walk in as followers of Christ, because they may not know for themselves how to go to the Word of God and think critically. So it was real important that we just wasn't, um, we weren't, you know, banging away at scripture after scripture and reading your Bible and church attendance. We wanted them to cultivate a heart and a love 
for God themselves because they saw that modeled in us. And we also, lastly, wanted to help them to have a global view of God. God is doing a great big work, a big, great big work in the world besides your own little um, dorm room or your, your own little room. God is doing a great work. So we showed through looking at scriptures, uh, Matthew 28, 19, about the Great Commission, and um, Acts chapter 1 about going and therefore and you, wherever you are, you are to represent Christ. So we saw them, how they interacted in their schools, um, loving people, praying for their teachers as they went on mission trips to Russia, to Asia, to Africa, seeing God had a great big heart for the world and preparing them for that. So it's been a, it's been a great, great joy of watching our young people to grow up as they're growing to understand and love God. It took a lot of prayer, a lot of intentionality, but we believe God's word because it transformed our lives. It's transforming and transforming their lives. Thank you. You know, sometimes when you look back, you're able to articulate more clearly why you did what you did. And uh, I think looking back, one of the things that we wanted to do with our kids, I don't know if we were always successful, but one of the things we wanted to do with our family is for them to understand, and I want to pass this on to young, young, young parents here. We wanted them to understand that living and being in the Word of God is normal. It's normal. It's not abnormal. And I think what ends up happening, if it's genuine to the parents, and if, if it's integrated in our hearts and lives, and if that becomes the, the, the grid mind through which we evaluate all of life, then it becomes normative. The problem with hypocrisy in our kids is that the parents are conflicted about what's really valuable. And so if, if, if we're single-minded in terms of our approach to it, if we're single-minded in terms of what this is all about, then it becomes, it becomes normative to them. On this whole idea of evaluating things, I, I literally used to, as our kids got a little bit older and stuff, I just didn't want to tell them, you know, don't go watch this or don't listen to this and all the negative stuff. Uh, that's always easy to do. No is always easier to say than it is to reason with them and help them to walk through a process. And so what we began doing is that I would hang out with our kids and just turn to some of the radio stations that played some really kind of like some of the lyrics of the songs were nasty and rough and this kind of thing. And I got to tell you, you got to be careful. You got to know your child, what they can take. But I would say, okay, Brian, let's listen to some of this. Let's listen to this. You know, uh, this dude is actually talking about sleeping with somebody and his wife. Is that right? I mean, you like the tune and it's memorable, but is that right? B-boy, this guy is rapping about stuff and calling women by the B-word and this kind of thing. What's somebody call your mama that? You know, what, what does this represent? I think what we need to do as Christians, and it, it, sometimes our kids pull back from the Word of God because we don't help them to decide to think with a biblical framework. We tell them what the framework is, but we got to help them to think with the framework. And so what ends up happening, although we tell them content and we pour the content in them, we don't give them what they need to wrestle with that content. So when they're challenged, they know the words, but they don't know why. And they lack confidence in their ability to defend what they believe. And so apologetics, a fancy word, does not begin when they're 17 or 18 years old. It begins when they're four, five, and six years old. 
You got, you got to close the loop. It is not just the content, it is the why. It is the how it works. It, it's, it's, it's the message behind. And so you don't get this whole reaction to, to things. I'm trying to anchor what all that I have to say. Um, as I was wrestling with, okay, h- how, do you, how do you make this stuff practical? And I want to tell you, it's not easy. When we say practical, it's not easy. And I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you. You know, we Christians, we want the, the three quick things that will help me to get it done. We want this microwave stuff and automatically. Well, got to tell you, it's not easy. In fact, I'd have to tell you, struggling and suffering and wrestling with this stuff is probably more important than anything else because it's in the wrestling with it and it's in the struggling with it that it does become clearer to us in terms of what we value and what's really, really, really important. The overall thing that I I think we need to teach our kids, and this is where, and as a pastor, I just got to say this. I, 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 the last 20 years, I've become very concerned about those of us who are Bible-believing Christians, our, our flavor of Christianity, and our desire to wander away from our legalistic heritage and people being so top-down and always quoting the Bible without there being the reality in it, and our desire to become, quote, authentic. I think we've gone to the other extreme, and we have reduced the value of the Bible, We sometimes teach people that how the Bible is applied is the same as what is said, and that's not true. That is not true. And you got to be very careful. In our desire to correct the hellacious legalism and the hypocrisy that's been part of our heritage, this disingenuous approach to Christianity, uh, the fact that people are saying a bunch of stuff that, that they're not living, in our desire to correct that, what we have done, what we have done is reduce the value of the Bible. You don't need to reduce the value of the Bible. And I think, if anything, we need to come back to treating the Bible as a sacred book. You can't separate God's voice, as I said last week, from his person. So I think the very first place to begin is to help our kids think right about the Bible. To think right about it. This is God's voice. This is is not some historical personage here. This is God's voice. And when we hear it, there has to be a sense of reverence. And I think teaching them reverence when they're very small. And I also think modeling it ourselves. So as I would press through this and kind of wander through here, I would say, I would say that, again, parenting is always about transference. And here are the three big things if we want our kids to integrate internalized truth. I think here are the three things that we need to do. Now, they sound very simple, but it's hard. Three things that we need to do. Number one, we need to pray what we see for our children. This is in relationship to the Word of God. If we want them to have a passion for the Word of God, it begins by praying for what we see for them. Number two, we have to be what we see for them. And number three, we have to do what we see for them. I know that's very simple, but that's the process. And if, if, we, if, if we embrace that, it brings authenticity to what we're all about. Number one, we need to pray what you see for your children. What do I mean by that? Well, a love for God and his word is supernatural. Now, I, I know that I said that we can cultivate this and we can, but you, you got to understand, you're never going to process anybody into a love for God's word. 
You're not going to how-to anybody into a love for God's word. And I think this is where we blow it. We think that we'll just sit around the table, be quiet, don't spill your milk, and listen to me read Psalm 119. <laughs> you know, or, or you need to memorize these seven verses this week. Well, you're not, you're not going to process people into that. I'm telling you. It is supernatural. Remember the goal from Deuteronomy chapter 6, the goal of us knowing the word of God is so that we might, what? Fear him and love him. Fear him and love him. We want reverence and love the love of God to be their legacy. And that's the reason why we want them to embrace the voice of God. So I would say that as a daily, and we, I did this with our kids every single day as they were growing up, part of my daily prayer for them was that they would love the word of God that they would love God's voice, that they would love his word. And so the place to begin in praying for your children and your grandchildren or those that you're mentoring is you you pray, you pray, you pray that God would give them a passion for his truth. And by the way, when I'm talking about prayer, this is a little bit of a one-off. I think we need to be careful as we pray for our children Uh, Don't just pray benefits for them. Pray character for them. Pray character for them. Uh, Sometimes it's good for them to wallow in failure and disappointment and discouragement because of the character thing that God's trying to do. And God's trying to settle that word from, from the text, from their heads, into their hearts, and through their lives. So pray character. Always pray character for your children. Not just so that they'll get a good grade. Well, they need that. We pray all things about them. Well, that'll be, they'll, get, they'll make the team or make the cheerleading squad or whatever, whatever. Yeah, we can pray for that. But it's far more important that they be Christ-like. Far more important. Pray character for your children. The second thing is that we pray what you see for your children. Number two is that be what you see for your children. I've said this I don't know how many times, and this is the subtext of this whole series. Uh, (laughs) Your child will become who you are. Your child's going to become who you are. That's a principle of leadership. It's a principle of life. I wish that wasn't so. But chances are your child is not going to necessarily become what you dream for them. Not going to necessarily become what you plan for them. But chances are, on balance, they're going to become who you are. Did you hear what I just said? Parents, you got to take care of the mess in your life. You got to take care of your own sin. You got to watch your own personal disciplines. What are you modeling? What are we demonstrating before them? The eloquence of all of that speaks volumes, and we have to be exactly what we see for our children. And one of the things that we need to be, and I, I, I almost hesitate to say this because this is, uh, I don't want this to sound sacrilegious at all, but Jesus was said to be full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. And as a parent, I've had to learn this the hard way. I was so legalistic with our kids in many ways, so fearful of them making wrong choices, wrong decisions, so strong. So, and sometimes I was controlling. You know, I wanted, wanted to, con- you, you, you cannot control them into the right identity. Did, did you hear what I just said? For all of us who are high control, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. You'll never control your child into the right identity. You'll just delay their frustration. But you, you can't do that. 
You have to be the identity that you want them to be, which presupposes as parents that we are constantly growing, we're constantly repenting, we're constantly changing, we're dealing with our own stuff because I don't want there to be anything in my life, dysfunction, emotional issues, sinful habits, or anything to mess up with the legacy. I don't want that fooled with. The Bible speaks to that. Very, 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 very clearly. I love what Tim Kimmel, I follow him on Twitter. I, if, you don't, if, you, if you're going to follow one person on Twitter, follow Tim Kimmel on Twitter. He wrote the book Grace-Based Parenting. Tim is a great friend of mine. He said this last week in one of his tweets. He says, grace is an alloy of favor and truth mixed together to make one. I just love that. And so we need to be an alloy of favor and truth. And so when our children look at us, They don't see some sawed-off, wannabe righteous person that ain't quite there, but they're acting like they're there. But they see authentic, grace-filled, truth-filled people that they can be drawn to. Now, specifically, when you say, be what you see for your children, as this gets back to the scriptures, let me just give you three handles underneath this banner to, to think about And I don't mean this in an ostentatious way, but these are the three ways in which we need to model our relationship to the Word of God before them. Number one, you need to let your kids see you reading the Scriptures. Let them see you reading. I don't mean having devotions for them. Let them see you reading the Scriptures. There are two things that are permanently burned on my mind when I think of my mother. Two things up early in the morning with a little devotional book in her Bible. And then when I would come in late just before she would go to bed or whatever, I would see her on her knees praying. And my mother would pray out loud. Unbelievable. And I think our children need to see us reading. Our kids, I've shared this before, say, our sons, all of them say this, that one of the most powerful memories they have was getting up in the morning and see their mother. Karen used to sit in the, uh, there at the kitchen table with an open Bible and a cup of tea. And to this very day, when we get together and start talking about background and stuff like that, it is, it is the seeing of that. Again, modeling projects what is normative. Also, they need to see us responding to the Word of God. That we're not just asking them to be governed by truth, but that we're governed by truth. Challenges that we have, and one of the things that she, she did was that we had, this, we had this prayer book that we would take a prayer request with one of God's promises about the challenges that we were facing, whether it was raising support with Campus Crusade for Christ, major things that we were doing, challenges that we had with the family, whatever, we, 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 would, we would write them down. Or decisions that we would be making. Big decisions about life or decisions about whether we should take one of our kids, which we did, out of public school, put them in a private school or, or whatever. They need to know that you don't just make those decisions because this, uh, this is, what is what I think we need to decide to do. They need to see and we need to be intentional about how, how does God's voice relate to my choice? How does it relate to my decisions? How does it relate to buying a car? How does it relate to where I live? And so what you're modeling before them is an integration of truth, that we live under the banner of that truth. It's not just a celebration of my competencies and abilities to make good choices and decisions in life. No, it is is saying, letting them know that God's word is everything. And we make these decisions that way. 
And then thirdly, uh, they need to see us reaching with the word. Reading the word, responding to the word, and reaching with the word. What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, they, they need to see how we relate to other people. You know, it's good to have your kids with you. Let them, let them hang around with you. And let them overhear you in conversations with people who might be discouraged. Somebody might need a little bit, little bit of hope. And it's important for them to see that the impact of that, that truth of God's word is not just good for our family, but it's good for life. My sons, all kids, all of our kids have traveled with me, particularly our boys as they got older. They would sometimes travel with me and we be in taxi cabs from an airport someplace, and, you know, and I made a point, and I, I, would, I share my faith <laughs> naturally, but I was always aware of the fact that of the teachable moments, sharing the gospel with cab drivers, or sitting down as behind this backstage with me before I spoke at some major event, and I'm talking to some friends of mine, and they're sharing about, Crawford, I got this challenge in ministry, and this kind of thing, and you know, and, 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 and just naturally in the course of conversation, being able to, to encourage them with a word from God. Or sometimes I was the one that was sharing a challenge and them seeing somebody that they admired, like Uncle Kenny or Dennis Rainey or somebody else, give me a word. See, what I'm trying to say is that let's get back to this being normative. And that's got to be modeled. We've got to be what we see for our children. Pray for what we see for our children. Be what we see for our children. And then thirdly, do what you see for your children. Do it. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. You see, you, you, you don't develop a passion for God's word. Now, I, I, I did say that you're never going to process your way into that. That is true. But that doesn't mean that it's not intentional. <laughs> it is hard work. And it is very, 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 very intentional. Karen referenced Psalm 78. Psalm 78, verse 5. Uh, Asap wrote that song. It says that he, meaning God, established, appointed a law and established a testimony, appointed a law and established a testimony, appointed a law and established a testimony. That's wonderful. The law has to do with the objectivity of God's truth. The testimony has to do with the ways that God works. But, but by the way, they're not to be separated, however. They're not to be separated. Truth and how and testimony go together. And God has established that. We, we have to intentionally steward that. And if you go on in that text in Psalm 78, he, the command is that we should teach them to our children the character of God and the content of Scripture. The word teach there is not the pedantic word for teach. It is a, it is a passionate term for teach. It means with great intentionality. So that the generations to come might know, the generations yet to be born. And that's the argument of Psalm 78, verses 5 through, through 7. And so let me just say some practical things along these lines. I think that there are two categories in terms of teaching. Number one is formal instruction, and number two is informal instruction. And I have to tell you, I tilt toward uh, our, <laughs> the informal times sometimes are the most memorable times. First is the formal instruction. Um, you know, I started to give you a list of resources and this kind of thing. I did mention to Corinne Simpson, if you call her office or email us, this kind of thing, there, there are all kinds of things that we could give you. But I want to back up and say, you know, there, around the Loritz household, we design formal instruction around these four opportunities. One, mealtime. 
You know, it's amazing how eating and talking go together. And, uh, and mealtime was very important. So we, we typically would do it around dinner time. Now, I got to tell you this. Uh, we were a very busy household, just like you all. And somebody asked me, said, well, did you have family devotions every night? No. As they got older, no. I mean, you know, there are ball games and practices and things like that and what have you. We didn't do it necessarily every night, but we try to connect around a meal at least two to three times a week. And uh, th- here's what you're trying to communicate, and I want to, I just want to tell you this, okay. Some of you say, well, Crawford, I, my kids are like, you know, <laughs> they're different ages, and, you know, and, and one looks bored, and one looks halfway en- engaged, and this kind of thing. I know we've been through that too, and I don't have an answer for that. You know, I mean, our kids are like four years apart and Brendan and Holly are three years apart. You know, Brian is bored and picking his nose and I'm telling him to stop doing that. And then, you know, Brendan's like off the walls because of a bent toward ADD. And then, you know, Holly's like, you know, anything daddy says, she's listening. But I mean, it's just, so you just like, but you know what they talk about today? Here, here's a takeaway. I want to, I here, here's, here's a takeaway. Here's a takeaway. You know what they say today? They don't necessarily remember any of that stuff. But what grips them was the value of God's word. And so don't, don't think because they're not catching. And don't, no, don't, don't hear me as saying be irrelevant. No, I think you ought to, you ought to work hard and, and get some age-specific stuff. I, I got that. But the value of doing that is what you're trying to communicate. We also found out, number two, bedtime was a great time. When they're winding down, you get their attention and you can just give a snippet and, and you come into their world. Uh, individual Bible studies, this is what Karen and I did as they got older. As they got older, we started having individual Bible studies with them. So they got around, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, right in there. We started meeting with them personally. I would be with the boys, you know, we'd have a breakfast, standing breakfast Bible study every week where we would... You know, it would be the book of Philippians and we just take a couple of, couple of verses, paragraph or whatever and go through it and just connect with their hearts. But the one of the things that we drove them toward, we drove all of them toward not depending on us primarily for their spiritual food. As soon as they could read, we drove them toward having their own personal devotional time. What we're trying to do is to cause them to be independently dependent on the Word of God for themselves. And so we push them toward, re- I mean, really when they're small, their own Bible, you know, uh, you, have, you, know read, you, you can choose whatever they read or whatever, but you want to push them toward developing that habit of interacting with God for, for themselves. Now, there are some informal instructions, uh, times, and these were the most I think the most memorable times in their lives in which you take opportunities to encourage them when they've been disappointed. And you capture those moments. And you don't miss that moment. You pay attention to their frustrations. And you pause and you get a word from God to help them. And by the way, this never ceases. To this very day, Karen and I still do that with our kids as they struggle and they call us or whatever. Um, they know that dad is inept anyway, that the greatest wisdom is going to come from God. And then there's sin in life situations. 
You know, somebody gave us some great advice. I'm going to pass this on to those of you who have younger kids when you discipline your kids. Now, this sounds, but this has been really great for us. When your kids, you have to discipline your kid. This older couple told us this. I guess Brian was maybe two or three years old. Great advice. Great advice. He said, Crawford, when your child does something wrong, always connect their behavior. Now, this sounds, this sounds, this, this sounds a little heavy, but always connect their behavior to how that behavior hurt the heart of God. And make sure you introduce grace in that, that there is forgiveness and hope there, and you point them to the word of God. Do that first, and it also calms you down, especially if they've made you really angry. And then you pray with them before you discipline them, whether you spank them or whatever you're going to do. Then after you discipline them, you gather them up in your arms and you pray with them again. What are you demonstrating? Grace and truth. And you're giving them hope. And you're pointing them to God and you're letting them know that your behavior is not just hurting my heart, but you're hurting the heart of the Savior. But the weird paradox there is that there's grace and forgiveness with him and you can overcome this. There are many opportunities. My time is up just about right now, but I, I, I tell you some stories. I, you know, uh, one story is when Brendan was about seven, eight, well, I guess he's probably about nine, nine years old. He was, uh, was a priest, kind of like a preseason little baseball game. That game didn't mean anything. That boy of mine, none of my boys like to lose. And um, he was playing third base, and this little boy pitching was getting whiplash because these kids were hitting the ball, and he was like, and, you know, and so Brendan, I'm standing there along the fence line, you know, right, right down third base line, and Brendan's getting upset. He got upset. He kicking the dirt and throwing his glove down. And, and so I said to him, I said, Brendan, stop that. So another hit, and he just took his glove and just slammed it down. I said, boy, have you lost your mind? Stop that. And he did like this to me which was not a good thing. And uh, at that point, I told John, who was the head coach, good friend of mine, I said, John, take Brendan out of the game. I said, we sent him in the middle of inning Crawford. I said, take him out. So he took him out of the game, and uh, I said, you're going home. We sat in the car, and we got home. I said to him, look, let me tell you something, son. It's not just about disrespect, although that's, that's important. But you're a follower of Jesus Christ, And Galatians chapter 5 says that even in your heart right now, the Holy Spirit lives. And you're never to be controlled by anger like this. That's not right. And then I did a few things to help affirm that decision. (laughs) At this point, what we want to do is that we're going to have our kids come in from Learning Center. And Karen and I... Now, these are not all the kids in Learning Center. We couldn't get the toddlers, that kind of thing. I'm kind of glad. I'm not, no, that's it shouldn't be there. Uh, we're going to have them come in. And what I'm going to ask Karen to do is to pray for these kids and dedicate them. And, and they're representing all of our children. By the way, let's stand together. And if you are a child here, I'd say between like three or four and 11 or so, I want you to come up here too. And by the way, we're going to pray, but because of our policies and safety, parents, don't pick up your child here. We got to tell you pick them up back in their classroom. But we want to pray for this next generation right here that God will give them a love for his word. And I want to do something that might sound a little mystical to some of you, but often the extension of the hand demonstrates 
a desire for blessing and favor, will you extend your hands as we pray for these children? Extend your hand toward them. Sweetheart, would you pray? It says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have. Lord, we thank you so much for these precious young boys and girls. Lord, we pray that you would guard their hearts and their minds We pray, Father, that those that are followers of yours at this tender age, Lord, that you will cultivate a love for you, a love for the word of God, and that they will obey you 100%. Father, we pray for those that have yet come to know you. Lord Jesus, would you give them this day, this time, to come to know you, so that as young people they'll be able to walk knowing the goodness and the grace of God. We thank you, Father, for these children. Bless them. May they grow up to be men and women, mighty warriors for you in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. We're going to let them go and want you all to stay there. Um, That was easy and quick, wasn't it? Yeah. That was on purpose because the tension span issues we have here. Okay. We do understand that. So you you can go back and... uh, Tell your parents because you were very good, they need to buy you whatever you want, okay? (laughs) They want to linger, see that? You can learn something from them. You know, it's it's really amazing. You never know what these kids are going to be and how God's going to use them. And by the way... That's the reason why we want you to volunteer for Learning Center. Just what you see right here. Just what you see right here. Just what we've been talking about here. And it is my prayer that we'll get 15 or more. And that's not just an empty advertisement. The shaping of the next generation. Now I want to pray for those of us who are parents, grandparents, the influence that we have. And I want to challenge all of us. Let's step up our commitment to the Word of God. Let's stop making excuses about why we're not in it and why we're not reading it and this kind of thing. There's too much at stake, folks. There's just too much at stake. And we, we, we just got to step up and get, get after it. All right? As I said last week, everybody does what they want to do, including me. Father, we bow before your presence and we thank you, O oh God for the word of God. And I thank you for this church and I thank you for its leadership and I thank you for the people here and I thank you for the Bible studies and the encouragement, the community groups and uh, the ministries that are taking place here. The centerpiece of what we're doing here is your word. And I pray that you'll encourage all of us, God, to lead um, from the scriptures, Lord, that it would be the normal thing of our conversation, of our interaction. Lord, help us to be authentically biblical. Help us, O God, to respond to you, Lord. We pray, God, that we will be models worthy of uh, replicating. Lord Jesus, that you'll remove the impediments from our lives. Pray, Father, that if there's sin in us, Lord, that's causing you or causing us to stand back from running to your truth, that we will deal with it. Get rid of all the blockages. 
Oh God, we pray that you will use us to shape the hearts and lives of others, to introduce them to the everlasting voice of God. Thank you again for your word. Dismiss us from this place. Give us a glorious day in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings.